welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Move Daily Health Podcast. I'm Dane Wallace here again with Freya Spence. And today is our year-end wrap-up podcast, the last podcast of 2019, setting us up for our 30th to kick off 2020. But before that, we're basically just going to do a little year-end recap, going over some of the new things that we've learned and some of the new habits and tools that we're using that have impacted our health and well-being. So as professionals within the health and fitness industry, we are always working to improve our health. We always have something to work on. We have various things that we can optimize. We have better habits we can build. And every year provides another little 1% increase in how well we're doing. So this year we would like to share some of the things that we work on and some of the things that we do within our day-to-day to help improve that overall health for long-term longevity but more importantly a health span as opposed to a lifespan yes health span beautiful term that just came up in our last podcast with uh martin gabala um which is great and again it's why the both of us do what we do is to make sure that all of the years we have here are going to be well spent it's trying to eliminate the lack of functionality in the final years and trying to make them as enjoyable as possible. So again, all these habits that we're talking about and these tools, we try our best to be as consistent with them as possible because that's when we get the best results. Obviously things come up in life sometimes, but the more consistent we are, the better effect we get. So the way we're going to kind of lay out today's podcast is we're going to cover a couple things about movement, a couple things about nutrition, a couple things about lifestyle, and then go into our wrap up questions as we do with uh, the majority of our podcasts. To kick things off in the movement realm, Freya, what have you learned this year? Oh, so many things. Um, We elected to just try to choose one. So we're trying to choose ones that are personal to us as opposed to a lot of the various continuing education we've done for our clients. But for myself in particular, for the listeners that don't know, I had a significant spine and shoulder injury a couple of years ago. Rehabilitating this injury was very challenging because there were as all the doctors say, a constellation of pathologies. What that just means is that they couldn't narrow it down to one, so there were too many moving pieces. What that means from a rehab side of things is there were a lot of tissues that were shut off because nerves were damaged. And so obviously that impacts the joints, how everything articulates, and general communication within the body. So nerve damage is a long process and a significant amount of it does involve waiting, but whenever we're trying to remodel tissues and rehabilitate, we're trying to remind your brain of where all your pieces are. So in the case of a knee injury, for example, a lot of people who don't actually go through a relearning process of reintegrating that knee with the rest of their body can find that they still limp 10 years later, even though by definition that tissue is no longer injured. Because at some point they never really retaught their body that it was safe to load that knee. So then there's a, this concept that we call learned non-use that sort of loops in and it, it does so unconsciously. So with that said, within the context of my shoulder and uh, my neck and my whole upper left quadrant, 
much of my success has been through skill-based movement practices. Isolations, as we see, I'm not knocking physiotherapy, but in in conventional rehabilitation, we often work sort of in quasi-isolation and a lot of uh, open chain, like little band work and things like that. But through and through all the work I've done with clients, we tend to use more closed chain and task-based movement practices. So your body understands movement and it understands tasks very well. It doesn't necessarily understand like um, a small rotator cuff drill and how that pertains to washing the dishes. So in my own personal experience this past year, the reaffirmation of that was really evident because I had hit a bit of a, a regression last December due to some other medical things and could not stabilize that scap. Uh, there was still a lot of uh, lack of control of the upper left quadrant and the shoulder and obviously still a lot of discomfort and pain with that. But I was in the pool and swimming just with one arm at first. But a lot of that allowed me to at least start to learn to stabilize properly. I met the right hand lane rope more often than I care to count. But being in a skill-based environment that reduced load and changed the plane in which my body had to stabilize was really helpful. I minimized head turns because obviously that brought on uh, some symptoms. So there were a lot of ways to modify it, to rebuild that. But being in the pool helped deal with um, reintegrating some movement without being under full gravitational load of being a bipedal out and about. The other thing was animal flow. Animal Flow is a movement program that a number of people have heard of before, and I have the privilege to teach their certification in Canada. And taking a lot of the elements from the closed chain curriculum helped me reintegrate the shoulder and remind my brain that I had a shoulder because I couldn't do open chain weighted movements. Then the third thing that was a big leap of faith was hoop, aerial hoop. Now, most people would assume that because I could not do any loaded movements in the gym, I couldn't row and stabilize my scap to save my life, that hoop would be way beyond my capacity. And if you watch a beginner hoop, do not watch the amazing aerialists out there. There are so many little skill-based tasks you have to learn even to just get into the hoop and you don't have to do a lot of reps you do one or two and this was fantastic for reintegrating my left upper back my left shoulder and visually you cannot really tell the difference between the two sides but that all three of those skill-based movement practices were absolutely fundamental and yet if we just looked at qualifiers many people get stuck in this rut of not really getting better because they haven't integrated it and I'm not saying anyone has to go out there and swim and do hoop and things like that but if you have an injury or you have pain you have to work with someone or maybe you have the knowledge yourself to reintegrate it into task-based practices your body understands them way better than any taught exercise as it were and we just came back from hoop and ladies and gentlemen, I'd just like to say <laughs> that it is night and day between the first time she went to hoop. And right now, I mean, the coach was throwing all these new things at Freya today, these extra challenging things. And it was just like, boom, nailed it. So she should be uh, very, very proud of herself. So big kudos to Freya Spence and her 
progress through her injury in 2019. Well, and we call it, it's like air control and ground control. Like Animal Flow gives me all the air, or sorry, ground control of changing planes with body weight. And, you know, anybody who's aging, you want to make sure you can still get down to the ground and back up with ease. And then aerial hoop is a little bit of air control and a lot of grip and a lot of trust. I'm not saying it was easy the first time going, which is why I'm working with a coach. I think that's very important. I am not trained in aerial hoop as a coach, therefore I do not coach it. But I understand a lot of principles around it and I am I think coaches always need coaches in domains that they are not trained in personally. And it's been incredible, but the first time going, I was scared shitless. And even in session, like death gripping the hoop because I was so afraid. But I was also meeting that fear where it was at and going really slow. So, yes, for anybody who's a little frustrated with their progress, integrate it into a skill somewhere or find a coach who can. Absolutely. And I'm going to go the opposite direction and jump right into an isolation movement that I really like. <laughs> I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever isolate either. I want to make that clear because uh, I would say isolations can really help people sense something. You know, when when a body part isn't necessarily familiar, it's helpful to kind of isolate, try to move that joint, see where that joint takes you for, through its full range. Those are important. I'm just saying that the key is to then integrate them into a task and a task that is specific to your life is even better. Precisely. And that's why I love Shortfoot. We had Dr. Emily Splickle on the podcast earlier this year, and she spoke to the uh, importance and benefit of taking care of your feet. Now, a few years ago, Freya got me into a pair of Vivo Barefoot shoes for the first time and really started my education about feet. And this year, several months before the podcast with Emily, I took the Barefoot Specialist course that she delivers in New York. I did it online, but just really gave me a huge appreciation for the complexity of feet and taking care of them. And so now every morning when I wake up, one of the very first things I do is once my feet are on the ground is I perform a short foot exercise, which is really not complex. It's more or less you're just pressing your toes into the ground and contracting your arch up. Basically, that shortens your foot. So that's why they call it short foot. Uh, the podcast with Emily, we'll link it in. It was really, really informative. I think everyone should listen to that. And a short foot exercise is just a really, really quick and easy way that you can give your feet a little bit of self-care every day and strengthen those feet so that you're resilient all the way up through your body. To that point, one piece of homework we have most people do is roll out the bottom of their feet. And we can link in two different ways to do this. At the end of the day, if you have a golf ball or a lacrosse ball or the tune-up balls, those are all appropriate. It feels good usually has really high compliance because it feels good. It doesn't feel like a task or a chore. And rolling out your feet at the end of the day or at the beginning of your day can help all the tissues upstream. It can also also help you combat the fact that at this point in the year, at least in North America, most people are wearing much heavier shoes and much more restrictive footwear. So both of those factors impact your feet your ankles and your hips in a really big way. We say, see way more people complaining about ankle and hip discomfort or fatigue at the end of the day. And a lot of that comes down to the boots that you choose to wear. So a little bit of foot care goes a really long way in counterbalancing your little foot coffins. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're at home, walk around your bare feet. 
spend as much time barefoot as you can, especially in the winter when you're wearing those clunky boots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the short foot exercise is another thing that I do every workout before my deadlifts. It's something that I give all of my strongman athletes before their deadlift workouts. It just really connects the body to the floor and really preps the entire chain to get ready for a heavy uh, load to be lifted off the ground. So that about sums it up for the movement side of things. So now let's move into nutrition. Uh, So I think there's two topics that we'd like to really touch base on here. And the first one is regarding meal timing and time-restricted eating. So Freya, can you speak to that a little bit? There's been a lot of information available for quite some time about intermittent fasting. So intermittent fasting or IF is something that people are quite familiar with or they've heard of and it's been in the news. Then there's time-restricted eating, which is another term that's being used. And that's essentially the same thing because in both cases, they create what we call an eating window. Now, implementing an eating window and really sticking to specific meal timing is so helpful in dealing with gut health, inflammation, and I'm talking about like joint and body inflammation, as well as improving sleep. For anyone who's following this podcast, they'll know that we released a podcast a few weeks ago about uh, insomnia and overcoming insomnia, and time-restricted eating is one of them. But I also work with a lot of clients who are dealing with inflammation and injury, and again, bringing in more attention to meal timing is huge as far as managing that. All of our body systems have circadian clocks within which they operate, and if we're eating at 5 a.m. when we wake up at 4.45 a.m., chances are how your digestive enzymes were not really ready for that anyway and then we finish eating say at 8 p.m that's a massive window where the majority of your 24-hour cycle has been spent digesting so you simply don't get the rest that you need at your gut which means that your whole body is affected by that including your brain because then your sleep isn't as deep and you don't get through that nice cleanse cycle of wiping the hard drive at night so it becomes this sort of perpetuating cycle where you're impacting sleep negatively by having too long of a window and that will make you want to eat more and so on. And it's more about managing the quality of your sleep, managing your inflammation. All of this contributes really positively if you can adjust things to managing things like chronic fatigue, managing your stress, getting better quality sleep, even if you still suffer from some insomnia or insomnia episodes, those sort of things can't be overlooked. And the time-restricted eating sounds way less daunting than intermittent fasting in part too because it does not have to be extreme in fact women in particular should not be pushing for 24-hour fasts all the time i know i'm going to make a couple people not super happy and turn off the podcast at this point but that's okay (laughs) so even if you can make sure that you have 12 to 14 hours overnight where you don't eat that will go a really long way towards improving sleep quality and reducing inflammation. One of the biggest things too is keeping dinner. For me in particular, the biggest one for me was keeping dinner as far away from bedtime as possible. I'm inherently not the best sleeper, but that went a really long way in terms of reducing the amount of inflammation I succumbed to. And anytime we are in a position where we kind of have to have a later dinner, it really does throw things off. But because the vast majority of time is within that time-restricted window, the ability to bounce back is there. 
Yeah, time-restricted eating is, uh, I'm a big proponent of this now. And I want to make one thing very clear. Intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating, and anytime you're really focused on that, shortening that eating window, to me, that's not a great approach if your end goal is really just going for weight loss. This kind of thing where you're, you're aiming to keep your eating window shorter is really good for health. It's really good for inflammation. It's really good for sleep. It's really good for all these underlying metabolic markers. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to lose weight because if you're still eating an adequate amount of food, you're probably not going to lose weight. So there's still the energy balance piece that has to fall within that. And sometimes when you do intermittent fasting, you can end up eating way too little a lot of times relative to your exercise and that can really muddy things up. So I just want to make it clear for the audience out there that we're not saying that like, Time-restricted eating is amazing for weight loss. This is really we're honing in on health. And ultimately, if you are healthy, it's easier to lose weight. But time-restricted eating is fantastic for inflammation and for sleep. And uh, I think both of us have really noticed the benefits there. I used to eat super-duper late, and I would snore, and I would have terrible bowel movements. And ever since I cleaned up my diet and started eating a little bit earlier, no more snoring, feel way better in the morning as soon as I wake up, wake up without an alarm most of the time. Uh, huge benefits. And on the second note of nutrition, I'd just like to speak to the importance of dietary diversity. Now, there's a lot of research coming out about this right now. We had uh, Dr. Mark Bubbs on the podcast not too long ago, and he spoke to something called the 50 Food Challenge, which is quite ambitious, but basically the research that's coming out now is just showing that the more diversity you have in your diet, especially when it comes to fruit and vegetables, so produce and real food, <laughs> the more diversity you have, you're going to have more microbial diversity within your gut. And that ultimately will make you more resilient, have better energy, fight off you know diseases, infections a lot more effectively. We have trillions of microbes within our gut, far more than human cells themselves. And so when we have more diversity there, and you get more microbes when you have diversity in the diet because you need different microbes to digest the different foods. Uh, it's just your immune system is far more, uh, far more resilient. So the importance of dietary diversity can't be overlooked. I know that when I eat more fruits and vegetables, I feel a heck of a lot better and I get sick less. And we now do a uh, vegetable and fruit food delivery every other Monday. And that really helps us with uh, getting more diversity in the diet. That's mostly because the <laughs> the Fresh City Farms bag that they deliver has vegetables that we wouldn't necessarily even see at the grocery store. So it's uh, kind of fun. It's like a grab bag surprise. The other piece to it is for anybody dealing with allergies and chronic inflammation, keeping the diversity of nutrients as high as possible helps with gut tolerance. One of the biggest challenges of going through food eliminations and so on is that if you do it for so long, you actually lower your tolerance and lower your diversity. So then if you try to reintroduce a food, if you've kept it out too long, food otherwise might have been okay, but now is reactive. So if you're managing allergies, I completely understand. I have to take things out regularly. But keeping a cycle of sorts and figuring out what you can eat when and paying attention to the environment within which you can eat it. Like when you're away and you're more relaxed, you might be able to tolerate more and do try to because it keeps your di your gut diversity high, your microbiome high, and you become more resilient immune-wise. Yeah, and I've, I've seen a lot of people, a lot of uh, clients who have come to me have eliminated a lot of things from their diet 
and they're not actually intolerant or allergic to them. They're maybe just having a reaction to something because they're eating in a rush all the time, and that makes them seem like it's not sitting well in their gut. So the more things you can keep in your diet, the better. Obviously, if you're severely allergic to something, do not include it. Um, but the more you can keep in there, the better you're going to feel. And just a reminder to everyone, anybody out there who's trying to lose weight and it is cutting calories down, Typically, when you are cutting calories down, you are cutting out diversity in the diet as well because it becomes really easy to just eat chicken and broccoli every day. So especially in the winter time when there's more viruses around, it's really, really important to keep that immune system boosted by eating a wide variety of food. Yeah, please don't just eat chicken and broccoli. That's no way to live. It's a very sad way it to live. It makes me very, very sad. It's yeah. not cool. Not cool, bro. Now, when it comes to immunity and diversity and so on, there are also some other factors to consider. And this brings us to our third point, which is lifestyle changes. We've made a few changes in the last year specifically aimed at our environment. So we live in a big city and our environment is not the cleanest as a result of just... The giant pit next door. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we have construction in our neighborhood because our neighborhood is a fast-growing one, unfortunately. So with that said, one of the things that we did is bring in an air filter. And there were some surprising and not-so-surprising things. Unsurprisingly, I was waking up less congested through the night. So that was a great sign that our air quality had improved but the other piece was that the sleep I was getting was significantly deeper and we changed nothing else to our routine so it was evident that whatever was in the air that was coming through overnight was enough to be an irritant to my system that removing it had a really positive impact the other key thing that helped both of our guts out was finally getting a Berkey water filter we'd been recommended this four years, three years ago, maybe. And for whatever reason, with all the travel I was doing, I I just hadn't had an opportunity to get around to it. So we got a Berkey water filter. And even though Dane doesn't inherently have a cranky gut, whereas I do because of the various immune things I work with, both of our guts improved. So GI symptoms for both of us were way, way better. And in our area, we also noticed that the water was leaving this sort of pinkish film if we left home for a week and came back the toilet would have this pinkish film from the top down so whatever water was trickling through was leaving this trace chemical of sorts anyway it was enough for us to be really motivated to get the Berkey and it made a world of difference we also have other clients and friends and family members who have them I'm sure there are other ones out there that are great too but the simplicity of the Berkey and the effectiveness of that highlighted just how huge things like water and air are and even though we are in a first world country our infrastructure is not set up to have clean water yes there are no parasites but I would say that some of the chemicals in there are really hard for us to process yeah we are super fortunate to live in Canada and to have access to clean drinking water again the water here is relatively clean relative to other countries there's still stuff in the water that we shouldn't be consuming on a daily basis Uh, and as soon as we switched filtered water massive improvement for both of us filter that water filter that air especially if you are 
noticing signs of maybe brain fog or inability to sleep or something that maybe you just can't quite put your finger on what's wrong, diet's good, exercising, things are great, really start looking in at the environment and uh, the water and the air. Very important. And the second lifestyle factor that we'd like to speak to is the impact of light and having consistent sleep hours. So I'm going to mention a book that I really liked when we get to the impactful book part a little bit later in the podcast where you can read more on this topic. But basically, in the morning, we want lots of bright light. In the night, we really don't want to have any bright light at all. Our circadian clocks are triggered by light. So when the sun comes up, that's when we have a natural cortisol spike and melatonin goes down. Again, melatonin is what makes us sleepy. Cortisol is what gives us energy and wakes us up. And then through the day, cortisol will go down and in the evening should be very, very low. And that's when melatonin spikes. So in the evening, if you have bright lights on, you're staring at screens, you're out and about just flooded with artificial light, that is going to suppress your melatonin. It's going to keep your cortisol relatively high. And that is going to lead to a disrupted sleep cycle. So the impact of light cannot be overstated in the evenings. Don't have any overhead lights on. Just use little lamps if you need to. For anybody who's going to be in a bright environment, having blue blocker glasses is another option. You can go. All screens should have a blue light filter on them, whether that's on your phone or on your computer or your tablet. But the impact of light cannot be overstated, especially in the wintertime. Um, we use a sad light. Every single morning when we get up, we blast this bright white light in our faces and it helps make you feel energized and ready for the day. Um, when you live in Canada, it's very, very dark when you wake up. So having that bright light earlier in the morning, make sure that you can sleep earlier in the evenings as well. We've also touched on this in articles that we've written about those glasses. If you choose to use them, don't use them as an excuse to still go about tasks that otherwise are screen mediated. So if you're working really late, sure, having glasses on can probably help. And it's not a bad idea. But the content that you're receiving via work emails and, and tasks is probably going to keep you up more than the light actually did. The other interesting thing is we had a young client of ours comment about how much easier it was to sleep at a friend's place because she was there for a few days and how calm it was in her room and how much dark it was in her room relative to her own room. And so then she noticed that she kind of wanted her room to be less bright so that she would get sleepier sooner. This is from a 15-year-old <laughs> that has no education on circadian timing or anything. She was already expressing that if she slept in a calmer, darker room rather than a bright and cheerful one, at night she experienced more sleepiness, she went to bed sooner, and she slept deeper. So that's a totally unbiased source, and we see that kind of thing all the time if presented with the opportunity. Adults are the ones who like to override it and say, no, I have to do this work, which is fair. Every now and again, it has to happen. But if that's your excuse every night, it's something to take a look at. Yeah, I mean, we've, uh, we've, we've trained ourselves pretty good in this day and age to have a lot of light a little, a little bit later than we should. And so just putting it in the front of your mind in the evenings when you're at home, just keep the lights lower, make sure you're not doing anything stressful leading up to sleep, get a nice routine in there. And then it's that consistency piece with when you go to bed and when you wake up, if you can uh, avoid that social jet lag by staying up two to three hours late on the weekends and waking up two to three hours later, that is uh, going to go a long, long way. And extra little bonus, shut off your Wi-Fi at night. 
just shut off the modem or router altogether. That will help your sleep as well. And now we're on to our wrap-up questions, Freya. So over the past year, what has been the most impactful book in your life? In truth, I think it's the polyvagal theory. And this is something that's actually getting a little bit more attention nowadays, which is really nice to see. Having injured parts of my brainstem, the polyvagal theory really helped me understand how some of those parts were regulating my entire system as a whole. Because Stephen Porges, who developed the polyvagal theory, is a researcher as opposed to a clinician. And I like nerding out on that kind of thing (laughs) uh that said for anybody who has had any sort of traumatic injury or even general trauma and is trying to process that book is fantastic or what you can do is look up polyvagal theory and there are a lot of other uh, people who've broken it down in different ways that you can understand as a layman if you'd prefer layman's terms as opposed to scientific ones suffice it to say the polyvagal theory was really really helpful in understanding certain reactions that my body was having and fully integrating vagal feedback there are a number of other books that have already been mentioned on previous podcasts (laughs) that i would have brought up like your body keeps the score has been mentioned four times range has already been mentioned and the concepts in those books discussed are, are fantastic there are tons of examples so it may just be one of those books that you don't fully read through but the concepts themselves are quite well supported and I would say that if I had to pick one other that I think people might find interesting that pertains to human health, it would be primate change. Absolutely. And I'm going to give you a twofer, the one I alluded to earlier. Uh, If anybody out there wants to learn a little bit more about circadian rhythms, about uh, time-restricted eating, about the impact of light on the body, The Circadian Code, it's a very good read. It goes on some tangents and goes a little all over the place sometimes about nutrition and other things. But if you really focus in on the research and uh, the circadian rhythm pieces, it's a really, really, uh, really cool read. The other one I would recommend for the vast majority of people out there is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Very easy read, and it really just goes into in-depth about how you can create and sustain better habits. So for anybody out there who might be struggling to set that routine, give that a read. It's really, really helpful. It gives you lots of tools and lots of different approaches to uh, try and elicit change in your life. So Freya... What is your one non-negotiable daily self-care tool? This isn't going to surprise anyone, but it's movement. And it doesn't really have to be any specific threshold. It essentially just has to be me listening to my system and having time and space to do that. And in managing hypermobility, I find that the days I don't get to move at all are honestly the highest pain days. They are by and large the worst days on a spectrum. (laughs) But I would say that movement, sometimes it's really, really simple and it's largely ground-based. And other times it would be a larger chunk of time or it's a little bit higher output there's a huge variable gray zone but taking that time to tune into my system figure out where all my joints are move through their ranges as I'm able to that day is 
really important for me and it makes me feel way more connected and way less prone to subluxations and uh, more mentally just calm. Yes, I would agree. (laughs) Oh, thanks. (laughs) And I'm not going to say movement for mine, but uh, my non-negotiable daily self-care tool is really my sleep hygiene. Sleep is where all the magic happens, folks. It doesn't matter what your goal is, whether it's health or weight loss or strength or anything. If you're not sleeping, it's really going to uh, limit any any of those positive results that you want to see. And so sleep, I always tell people, it is not an action. It is an outcome. So if you want good quality sleep, it's really dependent on what you do during your days and what you do in the hours before going to bed. For me, sleep hygiene is throughout the day, making sure I get daily movement in, make sure I'm, you know, nose breathing and not super stressed out most of the day. And then right before bed, I do some soft tissue work. Uh, I take care of my teeth and uh, I just, I have a nice calming routine. I don't do anything stressful before bed. And uh, even lately uh, adding in, unplugging our internet has been making making a huge difference in terms of uh, sleep quality. So sleep hygiene and being consistent with that is my daily self-care tool. And then finally, uh, what is one piece of health advice you would impart to someone? Well, what I'm going to recommend to people is to really put the onus on setting up schedules and routines in your life that are quote unquote non-negotiable. So a lot of a lot of our clients that we work with really just find that they're having a hard time with willpower. Guys, willpower is is finite and the only way that really successful people are able to do anything is because they set up routines and schedules that are non-negotiable. And again, this isn't everything in life and this isn't always 100% rigid. Things always do happen in life, but there are certain habits that if you don't do them every day, you're going to be spinning your wheels. So it's really thinking, hey, what are those non-negotiable things in my life that set me up for success? For some people that might mean I have to get up every single day at 6 a.m., regardless of if it's a weekend, a weekday, because that makes sure that I'm going to get good quality sleep every night by not sleeping in every day. And it just starts the day right, for example. But having these non-negotiable routines where you just get rid of that conversation in your head, that negotiation of, oh, should I, should I not? If you can just have one or two non-negotiable, it's just a routine that you do that keeps you on the straight and narrow, it is super helpful and takes away a lot of stress. Mine is a little bit different, and I will elaborate that Dane does not mean that every day in your life for the rest of eternity has to be rigid (laughs) with setting a schedule. I said that. So mine is a little bit different, and it's all about the fears and beliefs that people have around their bodies and their health. The root of it would be start to understand your body, spend the time tuning into it and understanding its feedback. If you understand the feedback that it gives, you will preempt a lot of issues with your health long term. You'll identify red flags early. Many people that I work with have suffered with chronic pain or misdiagnosis or dead ends with managing parts of their health. And one of the biggest things that can arise when we're hitting all those dead ends is fear or the other side of it is when people are trucking along in life their health has never had any knocks to it and all of a sudden they're handed a really big one and then there's a whole lot of fear because they've got scary diagnoses that they're dealing with and they have no idea how to manage it 
one of the key things that I wish was in our education system would be something around understanding bodily feedback, understanding what it's telling us, and that we're also not broken. So even if you've had an injury, a lot of beliefs around fragile body parts and being permanently broken don't help us heal. And I am glossing over a much deeper and bigger topic but letting go of the fear and trying to understand bodily cues and then tuning into what allows our system to thrive is really empowering. And for years, I, I tried to overcome restrictions and tried to keep pace with other people. And all of those things, both in work and in life, socializing and in workouts, and all of those things would lead to breakdown and burnout. And at the end of the day, it's because I wasn't actually being honest around what allowed mine to thrive. I was trying to logic my way with, well, science says that if I do progressive overload this way, or if I work this many hours, I should only need this many hours of recovery. And it's humbling, but it's a really important process. And avoiding the belief that you're broken or that you should be fearful of certain body parts or that you cannot possibly understand and manage your own health are things that a lot of people need to work around and break up with. And I'm not saying it's a simple or easy process, but it's a really important one. So I think that about wraps up our year-end podcast. We would like to say thank you to everyone out there who is listening to this podcast, everyone who has given us feedback, everyone who has shared the podcast. Our mandate when we started this was to give a bigger voice to some of the people out there who have great messages and great information um, and just to give them a bigger platform for that. And we have some great guests lined up for next year and really excited to get recording on those. And uh, again, if anybody has any suggestions for guests they would like to see on the podcast, any topics they'd like covered, you can always find us on our website at movewelldaily.com or on social media at move daily eds move underscore daily underscore eds is our instagram handle i guess you can't see those underscores when i say it yeah probably not but that's okay (laughs) you can find it on our website anyway but yes if you do have any feedback please reach out to us if you have any guests that you think would be appropriate for the podcast they are experts in their field we're really focused on keeping people within scope as we try to also stay within our scope. So if there's anyone that you would like to see or hear, please reach out. Thank you so much again for tuning in and we will see you next year. In 2020 on the Move Daily Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.